I'm Sean McCambridge, Managing Director of Stellar Recruitment. Thanks for joining me on this journey to uncover the secrets of inspirational leaders. The reason I put this together is to share the unique journeys of these successful individuals and really unpack how they've achieved success and hopefully inspire others to do similar things. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and I hope you enjoy the series. Richie, thanks for joining us here as part of the Stellar Inspirational Leaders podcast series. I want you to do your best to put your humbleness aside. I think every Kiwi lad sort of uh, has a dream of doing what you've done, but from what limited insight I've had, I know it's been far from an easy journey and it's come with great dedication, sacrifice, and I don't think I'm out of line in saying that you've definitely have achieved greatness, and I think very few people can say that. I want to kick off with going back to a 14-year-old version of, of Richie McCaw. You know, what were the characteristics, the mindset, the ambitions, and was he a standout performer at that stage? Around 14, I left left home to go to boarding school. Got an opportunity to go to a big city, and, you know, your parents sort of sacrificed a bit to allow me to do that. And, I don't know, I just had this idea I didn't want to miss any opportunity. Didn't want to be a guy with regrets. You know, what if I'd done that, or if only, or whatever. So... I know that was always kind of in my thinking right from sort of that age. I just wanted to give as many things a go as I could. And doing that, I wanted to do it as best I could. So whether it was playing rugby or cricket at school or getting the books, I wanted to make sure I gave it a fairly good crack. You know, I played first 15, played for the South Island schoolboys, played for the first 11, but wouldn't say, you know, going through school, people say, oh, he's going to be an all-black or whatever. Yeah, so I definitely wasn't the most talented, but, you know, I, I gave everything a fair crack. When I left school, you know, I, I didn't really envisage rugby. You know, I'd only be professional for uh, for three years. Didn't really envisage that being a career. But um, yeah, I, I guess as a you know fourteen year old, the, the one thing that stood out was uh, wanted to give everything a crack and do it do it as best I could. And I think the other philosophy there is uh, no regrets, right? Yeah, someone said it to me one day. You don't want to be an old man looking back telling your kids, oh, I could have done that or I should have done that. <laughs> it's a weird thing to think about when you're a young fella, but uh, that's yeah. sort of always what I uh, had in my mind. I mean, we touched on a little bit before we kicked off about this, but you know, when did you form a vision on what you wanted to achieve in rugby? And following that, you know, what tangible steps did you take towards making that a reality? Look, I was like a lot of kids in New Zealand growing up. Being an All Black was kind of a dream like everyone that plays rugby I think as a young fella uh, probably has that dream through secondary school I probably still thought it would be pretty cool but never really considered it anything realistic at all uh, no more than anyone else there was a, a guy actually who was African he played for Western Province back in the 80s I think he coached a second 15 and Unbeknown to me, he was watching some of our games. He made a comment to me once where he said, uh, I just watched the New Zealand 19s play. I think you you could be as good as that number seven. And I was only 17 at school. I didn't even know he'd watch me and stuff. I remember that sort of hit home a wee bit. I was like, oh, that's nice to hear. Our first team made the schoolboy first team final. Yeah, a bit of luck. There was the right people there. And our team performed pretty well. And I guess that's what got me noticed from a national level. And wasn't until I made the New Zealand under-19s my first year out of school with Mark Shaw as coach. He sort of said, there's no reason why you guys can't be an all-black. You're the best in the country as an under-19s, and why not? He was a, a former all-black, and 
you know, it's the first time I really had anything to do with any former All Blacks. First time I sort of thought, actually, rather than just being a dream, being an All Black actually might have been a, a goal that was somewhat realistic. So probably from about then, I like professional rugby and being an All Black was something that I'd aim for. Someone once said to me in a different context, you show belief in me before I could believe in myself or believe that was possible. Would you say that those two conversations from the under-19s coach and the South African guy sort of showed belief in you before maybe you truly believe it in yourself? I guess that's, that's true, yeah. Sometimes you know you never really admit it to yourself, mm. but you sort of think, oh, I'm going okay. And then just getting a wee bit of uh, reassurance, so you actually are on the right track and give you a bit of confidence. It makes, you know, having a goal rather than a dream of being yep. an All Black actually not stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what certainly Mark Shaw made okay. Absolutely. I want to go on to some of the accolades that you've since gone on to achieve. So you're the first All Black to reach 100 caps, first rugby union player to win 100 tests. You're the most capped uh, player in rugby union history with 148 caps. Also equaled the most amount of appearances in the Rugby World Cup, only captain to lift the Rugby World Cup twice. Did you honestly think you'd achieve such thing when you started your career? And when did those goals start to become a reality or you believe that maybe you were capable of this? Yeah, that's certainly, <laughs> uh, I would never have believed at the start them get close to that. You know, being captain even it was never a goal. I just wanted to get out in the field and play for the All Blacks. That was all I was worried about. But made the All Black for what now? I'd only played a few games of Super Rugby and I was really worried over that off-season that you know, I'd be a two-minute wonder, you know? You've got to go into a full season of Super Rugby and whatnot. Was I going to be able to go from being the unknown guy to everyone watching you? Was I going to be able to back that up? So it was sort of the next goal was to make sure I earned my place again. And conversation I had when I just left school from my uncle when we were talking about goals where you don't just want to be an All Black, you'd want to be a great All Black. And Todd Blackhead actually said the same. He said, you, gotta, you can't just be happy being there now. you got to go and make sure you, you perform and, and be a good one. And that was where that altered. But I still very much was just playing for the thrill of being an All Black and wanting to do well out there. It wasn't until a year or two down the track where leadership and all that side of things became sort of something that I became more interested in. I think you said to me once, part of your philosophy, your tips for success, as I wrote in my book at the time, was, you know, you've got to do more than maybe what's expected, and particularly when no one's watching. When you had that realisation or maybe goal to become a great All Black, how did that sort of transpire in terms of your preparation or practice or training, you know, relative to maybe what was expected of you? Probably the first time that you look at that was when I just after I left school, first six weeks at university, I was getting ready for a New Zealand under-19 trial. And I never made a national team and you know, you have a choice whether you really put your head down and train to achieve something you want or you sort of have fun like a lot of people do first year. But, you know, I made that choice to really get into it and I think that reward showed when I did make it, you know, it was all kind of worth it. Probably a bit of peer pressure to, to go and hang out with the, the other mates that are doing other things, but I'd sort of sneak out and do the training that we had to do, and as I say, it became all worth it. And I think that was a really good lesson for years down the track when, when you think about uh, professional rugby players and especially the All Blacks, a lot of people only see what happens on Saturday. Yeah. They don't actually see the hard work that goes into either with the team or away from the team to get yourself in the best shape possible to make sure you can perform. But if you start at the top and perform, mm. you've just got to do that. There's just no there's no choice. Was that a conscious choice that you made or someone else maybe helped uh, bring to your attention? 
I don't know. I, I think uh, a bit of both, to be honest. I think, you know, the, the environments I was in, the Crusaders, especially early, and that sort of work ethic was a big part of that team I went into. And I just didn't want to let the guys down. And I wanted to uh, really show that I could be there. And I knew, you know, training really hard and um, doing the extra bits. That's what separates the ones that hang around to the ones that don't. That was the way I saw it. I'm going to sort of pick up on that question a little bit and ask you a bit of an extension of that. So what percentage would you apportion your success to talent versus work ethic versus mindset and, and why? As I said before, you've got to have some talent or instinct, whatever you want to call it. And you know, hard to describe to people why you do things. And I think that comes down to a bit of instinct. Now, mm. some people have it, some don't. But there are a lot of people that perhaps have that. So that only gets you so far. And I think at school, you know, a lot of kids have that talent that they rely on. They don't actually understand how to persevere through times it doesn't go so well. So I think to get yourself to a point where, uh, you know, maybe 50%. And then the work ethic and the mindset, I think they go hand in hand. You've got to have the mindset to be able to put the yards in. If you're sort of hoping it's just going to come, that, that's the wrong mindset. So I'd say the other 50% is... You know what you're prepared to do. There's absolutely no substitute for hard work. It's not just hard work; it's been smart, really smart mm-hmm. work. Just going and thrashing yourself every single day doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna uh, make it. You've got to understand how all the things like recovery. There's a whole range of things that will help you perform. I mean, I think just learning the game as well. A lot of people think just physical attributes is the different. You can work hard, but putting time into understanding the game and how you can be better, that's a huge part. Yeah, I'd probably say it's 50-50 between talent and mindset that flows on to yeah, how, how much you're prepared to put in. And is it fair to say that you were always and constantly looking for those incremental gains, whether it's being a better student of the game or training, preparation, recovery? The Crusaders' philosophy when I went in was always, you may not have the best talent team, but we'll work harder than anyone else. I look back to how I started, the skills I had uh, compared to the end. I'm not sure how I even um, functioned properly. I was so much better in a lot of areas by the time I finished. So if I'd just stayed where I was, I, you know, I might not have hung around. And you know, you can be careful you don't become too critical on yourself, but I'd always see the, the tackle I missed rather than the, the 10 I made or the, the one ball I dropped rather than the 10 I caught. You know, and I think that was just a natural thing for me. I, I got the thrill out of being better at it each week rather than, you know, doing the things you maybe are good at is actually adding something to it. You, the All Blacks over the last eight years, the coaching, the whole atmosphere was all directed around we've got to keep working on being better. Yeah. And, and not just better at weaknesses, being better at your strengths as well. I want to pick up on that mental a little bit more and talk about the self-doubt. And I don't know whether or not you've suffered from this at times. And if so, how have you sort of learned to change that habit? It's only human that you have doubts. There's that little voice on the shoulder that questions whether you're good enough at times. You aren't human unless you have that, I don't think. Some people allow that to become a massive voice and others able to just ignore it or accept it and look at the things that are, that are done well. Probably a couple of times that I uh, felt that one was definitely after the Olympics beaten at the quarterfinal of the World Cup in 07. It was probably not so much as a rugby player, it was more as a uh, captain, you know. Like a lot of doubts about, you know, because I knew that the buck stopped with the captain mm. and 
when the pressure came on, we didn't have the answers. Probably some of the things you think of was like, well, why didn't I have that? And you go, well, what was the answer? And that's the horrible part is I, I didn't actually know what it was, mm-hmm. but I knew it wasn't right. And that's when you start doubting something. I guess you've got a choice from that point is you either put your hand up and say, I need some help and I want to be better and how can I be better? Or you just sort of fade away like you know others mm-hmm. might do. What did you do to do the former rather than the latter? We got straight back into playing and I still felt I could play the game. Like I didn't really doubt myself in that regard. So I just got back into playing well. I thought best way to deal with it was to go and do what my real strengths were, which was playing well. And then I sort of got comfortable and sort of stopped doubting myself in that side of things. The whole team or the certainly the senior side of things, um, we started to address it. And that actually became a relief. Everyone was in the same boat. It wasn't just me. Coaches and other senior players had all probably felt the same feelings. And that actually lightened the burden a wee bit. We started to scratch the surface and, and it became quite exciting as how little we felt we knew. What that told me is the potential. You know, rather than look at what you don't know, is actually look at what you could find out. Yep. I mean, it's been pretty well documented that the ABs invested a lot in mental schools coaches like uh, Gilbert Anoka, Kerry Evans. How pivotal to the team's success have these guys become? And what can you share about how these individuals have maybe you know helped you with as a player and a leader? Well, you just look at the results of the All Blacks. Probably well, 2007 was a classic where the pressure came on. We didn't handle it. 09, there was a little bit of that as well. But, you know, in the last sort of four years of my career and even up last year, the All Blacks have won tight games. Mm. And, I, and I don't think that's because there's any more talent or the, the teams we play are any, they're all probably much of a muchness. You make an argument that they're all very similar. It comes down to being able to put your best performance when it really counts or perform the simplest tasks that you can do in your sleep but do it when it really, really counts. And when you break it down like that, it actually becomes, well, okay, it's not like I'm trying to pull rabbits out of the hat here. It's actually just being able to learn how I control myself and how I execute things under pressure. When you talk about mental people, think, oh, how, how, well, that's all sort of mumbo-jumbo stuff. But it, you know, when you put it in that context, it's actually still out in the field, but how do we do that? Well, we've got to do some work. Little simple things around a World Cup, you know, people started talking about that the All Blacks choked and, and whatever, and people kept saying things like, what happens if you don't win the next one? You know, I remember the guys, you know, Kerry and Gilbert said, why don't you just change the view to say, what happens if you do? And that actually is exciting and yeah. uplifts you rather than weighs you down. So simple things like that, you see it as an opportunity, not as a burden. And I guess actually enjoy the fact that it's going to be tight and that a World Cup's bloody tough to win. Actually be excited by that. If it was easy, well, would it be worth it? So it's just simple little things like that that changed my whole outlook on what the big pressure was about. And then I started to enjoy it. I started to really look forward to those big moments. Yep. It's just that slight reframing of those moments to be uplifting and empowering and exciting as opposed to daunting and and focusing on all the things that could go wrong. You know, perhaps I was a little bit guilty of this as I thought the champions and the top players don't feel pressure, they get rid of it all. Well, that's a load of rubbish. All you do is you have a higher threshold than others, yep. you know. You look at the top players, you know, people like Federer's, and they they have moments in those big games where they probably have doubts in their mind or they don't quite, but they, they actually win the big moments because yep. they don't do anything special. They just hit the shots that they can when it really, really counts. Yep. Same on the rugby field, you know, catch and pass and uh, tackle when it really counts. And, and I, I actually 
changed my whole philosophy to start to enjoy it, enjoy those moments. I wanted to know whether you could handle it. Well, clearly it's made a massive difference for the All Blacks. And like I say, I don't think they're any more talented than what they were before. And I think it's maybe just some of those mental aspects that have made a, a massive difference. So, and I think it becomes becomes a bit of habit as well. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get confidence from it. That and the other teams, you know, perhaps going, oh God, here we go again. I, yeah, I asked you to do me a favour at the start of the podcast, and that's you know put your humbleness aside. So I won't have a crack at this. I mean, you've got to try and play the game here as well, Richie. But you know, if you take uh, try and take an independent view as to what attributes or philosophies, etc., have been instrumental in your success, we touched on some of those things before. I mean, if you were to sort of boil it down to a couple of simple things, what would they be? I think the one thing that I guess I look back on my you know, rugby career is I never wanted to have a have a bad day. So I didn't mean I had to have the best day ever, every time, but consistency. So, you know, and that's where you gain respect or whatever. I wanted to go out there and be at a level, no matter what the circumstances that that was befitting a, uh, the captain or the, one of the best players in the team. And and so, you know, whether you're playing a team issue by 50 or a tight game, you're always at a level that was pretty high. And the way you did that wasn't just by chance. It was the preparation and this group was bloody tough. Is mm. every single week you had to go through a routine to get yourself a mental and physical state that could go and do that. And that's what I found probably in the end was a bit that I was relieved about when I finished. That that's what was really tough. You, mm. you reset after every game. Mm. So like maybe I, I I look back and didn't enjoy the success as much as I mm. should have, could have. But it also may have affected because as soon as that final whistle went on the Saturday, it was how am I going to get myself right again for next Saturday? And you know, and I think sometimes players that are great players, good players, leave it to chance, and they hope they're going to turn up. Whereas it's a conscious effort. You know, that was something I was pretty relentless about. And, and I always, if I had, you know, that extra training session that you do and off weeks or whatever, if there was a question, well, I'd do it. I, I wouldn't yep. not, you know, say, I oh, should I shouldn't I today? Yep, well, yep. it was an easy answer. If I questioned it, you did it. Yep. That was the way I always roll. I think those sort of attitudes set you up pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point. I want to ask you a question around how you manage your own expectations. Obviously, no doubt you were probably your harshest critic and you expected a lot of yourself uh, as an All Black, as a captain. And obviously it's a very visible team and a very visible role. There's a lot of scrutiny that comes with that. What are your tips for managing expectations and, and, and those sorts of pressures as a visible leader? Well, you've got to work out whose expectations you're living to. Is it someone else's or is it your own? Mm. And I, I think a lot of people get stuck in judging their own performance, what they should be by what other people are looking at that are uninformed. So like from a, the teams I was involved in, our expectations are always higher than mm. what anyone else thought. So it was quite easy. You set them and prepared to do what was needed for it. Well, it's probably time to go do something else. And it was always for the team to be better. So, you know, it wasn't about individuals, it was about the team. Well, buy into that, well, then you don't want to let your teammates down. That pressure was there and to not let your teammate down. It wasn't to satisfy fans or anyone else. It was to gain the respect and trust of your mate and not let them down and to make the team succeed. And so that pressure, you, you set yourself. You knew when you hadn't lived up to that, even though the... The, the scoreboard might have said so you knew when you'd had a bet you know I almost was more disappointed if I'd come off and the team had won and I hadn't done my job properly to the other way around probably a little bit exaggerated but you know I got the satisfaction out of doing my job for the team that's changed the pressure from being judged by everyone else you could judge it yourself you judge it what the team judges it and I think 
that becomes a bit more real. Absolutely. No, it, uh, good way of sort of distilling uh, whose expectations and, and, and making it a bit more simple in that regard. So have you always been comfortable uh, as a leader and, uh, and how have you become more comfortable as a leader? Probably not, and you, you don't just become mm. a leader just because you are. You actually mm. got to learn out of a lot. Like that was one thing that was good for me in my career. Is you know after first four years, it was what's the driver, and I think I went from more of an individual focus, wanting to perform and do that, is actually the team, like how you can influence the team. And being captain at the start, I, I sort of felt chief is now I'm captain. I need to know all the answers, and I need to be coming up with all that. And that was probably a bit of a fault that you get, but more just to try and feel comfortable and prove that you're the right guy for the job. I think after a while, you become comfortable. I felt when I first became captain, I felt like I had to have all the answers. Mm. When I became more comfortable, all I had to do was find the right answers. Mm. So it didn't matter who it came from. I just had to ensure that we were getting the right answers. And that sort of doesn't matter if you don't know yourself. Is actually there's a lot of other knowledge around. You know, It's a lot less lonely when you've got people around that are all putting up their hand to help job as a skipper or a leader is to create an environment that allows it. And would you say that takes an element of vulnerability to say, hey guys, I actually don't know the answer here. I wouldn't mind drawing on your views to help us get there? Yeah, and it's, it's not a weakness either. No, it, no. You've got to see it as a, as a positive. Like it, it wasn't so much in front of the whole team. Simple one, you come into a, a huddle. Initially, I'd be the first one to say all the things we need to get right. Probably latterly, you'd go and just keep your mouth shut and see what come out. Yeah, sure. And if you guys speak up and all it's all covered, then you don't seem to say anything. Perfect. Yep. Whereas if you're the one that's always given direction, in the end, they just sort of stand around and wait. There's no initiative. And But there's, there's times when they need direction. When the heat comes on, sometimes they want to look at the guy yep. in charge and make sure you know, wonder what to do. And that's when yep. you've got to be quite strong. But there's times where you just allow things to see what's going to happen. And people uh, that want to put up their hand and care about what you're doing will do that if you allow it. I mean, it's good to have people sort of empowered and doing the, the role, you know, as opposed to always coming from one central figure, right? Absolutely. I want to shift the uh, questions to a couple of quick questions from our, our clients. We have the opportunity for a couple of our clients to throw a few questions. So the first one's from Clint Gill. Uh, he's a Rangiora boy, uh, believe it or not, and still a proud All Black supporter, even though he lives over here in Brisbane. His question is, from your perspective, can you tell me about your best and worst moment as a leader? And from your worst moment as a leader, what did you learn from this? One of the things I learned early on is my relationship with the captain, with the coach, was pretty important. Yeah. And I had a disagreement with uh, the coach early on when I was captain of the Crusaders. It was just, it was over something pretty trivial, to be honest, but it was in front of the team. Mm. And we sort of held our ground and didn't really get it sorted. But afterwards, the coach said, why don't you just tell me that later, you know? And, and what that showed to me is, you know, sometimes have your debates, you know, where you really disagree and, and thrash it out. But, you know, a team wants to see the senior side aligned and brought in. And yeah. now you may not agree, but you had your debate and you agree what's going to be the way forward. And that was a really good lesson. Mm-hmm. That, now, what I was saying and what the coach was saying may not have been wrong. We just had our difference of opinions, but it, it was wrong to in front of the team it was just really awkward and yeah, yeah. I remember reflecting on that and going that was a really poor best one probably 2013 well it showed the power of body language and all that we were losing to Ireland and to be honest we probably should have lost the game at the end of the season we mm-hmm. clawed our way back scored in the last well after the Hooter you know 
do I really believe we were going to get there? Well, I was, I was trying to give that impression. And, yeah. and one of the boys said afterwards, said, oh, I was, it was his first year in the team. He said, I was so worried about it. But he said, every time I looked at you, you looked calm and like like we were on top of this. So he said, I relaxed and just got on with it. Yeah. And probably underneath it, I probably wasn't that calm and I probably <laughs> didn't believe it as strongly yeah. as I could have. But, yeah. you know, that was a weird reminder of how your actions and yeah. that can be hugely powerful for the people around you. I've said this before, and a mate of mine sort of says, as a leader, sort of every day's show day. And I think sometimes people around you look to see how you're responding to scenarios. And if you'll give them that impression, like the body language, like I think we're out here, boys, then they consciously or unconsciously engage in that, right? Exactly. So, you know, being calm and clear and, and saying the right things or doing the right things, you know, can have a massive influence. Some good points there. Um, next one is from uh, Brennan Batch. He works for a company called Plant Miner. They're a fast-growing technology company. But he said, at, at Plant Miner, we've always strived for a positive culture and to get the best out of our team. For some time now, we've adopted the mantra that originated from the All Black uh, team called Sweep the Sheds. I'm really interested to hear from Richie how the mantra come about and how it's carried over to his personal and professional life. Yeah, a lot was made of that uh, <laughs> in, in a book that was written. Um, yeah. I, to be honest, it's not a real conscious thing. I think yeah. this is where the All Blacks is great, is that mm. the, the team is more important than any individual. Like The team succeeding is bigger than any individual. So it doesn't matter who you are, you know, we're there to, for lack of a better word, you know, make the All Black uh, team name, whatever you say, mm. better. We talk about sweeping the sheds. You you just do what's right for the team, mm. and it might have been it might not have been me that did it. it might have been someone else, but you just do what's required, mm. no matter who you are or what you are. Uh, you do what's required. Yeah. And if you've got a bunch of people all keen to do that, you're going to make the the team succeed more often than not. My new role was a an owner and a, mm. and a pilot of my new company. You come back from a flight, and you sort of expect the helicopters to be washed and. Mm. If I just wandered off and left it for someone else to do it, yeah. well, what sort of message does that send? You know, so you do it yourself. Simple things like that. I think some people get in a position or a role that think they're above doing the, the things that you just expect to be done. Yep. No matter who you are, you just do what, yep. what needs to be done. Yeah, I think it's a great character trait, but also a great characteristic to have in a, in a team culture or a business culture. So. That's awesome, but I mean, just picking up on that, what are your tips and all your experience around creating healthy winning cultures? Well, the big one is you know, how do you win? It's about uh, the performance and, and what you do, not the outcome. If you always mm-hmm. focus on the outcome, you actually forget about how you get to that outcome. Yep. In, in a sporting sense, if you do your absolute best and you put the performance together, well, you really, by and large, can't control what opposition do when they turn up mm. on a sporting field. You can influence somewhat, but you know, if you go out and play your absolute best day and someone else beats you, well, what more can you do? Whereas if you just focus on the outcome and they're beating you or whatever, you forget about the performance side. So, you know, I think you know, business is a classic. You start worrying about what's across the fence and what they're doing, how I'm going to beat them. You actually forget about what you need to do day to day to ensure you're successful. Yep. And you do that, well, then you're going to start uh, beating your competition. So sort of just focusing on the process rather than the outcome, yeah. so to speak. Yep. You control the outcome through your performance. Yep. You worry, in a rugby sense, you worry about what's, what full-time's going to be like, mm-hmm. but you forget to do the bits you got to do. Or you're up on the scoreboard, so we're going to win. Well, you forget about that there's time left. 
As a leader, how did you go about getting the most out of each individual and, and sort of helping them reach their potential? The first one is get your own house in order. On the, on the rugby field, you go and perform to your, your maximum, your best every single time. That That's a hell of an example for guys who the team, they see you doing that. Well, that's that's an easy way to show them what, what you expect, what you, mm. what you want. Um, if they buy into something bigger than themselves where they feel a part of a, a, a bigger group and they don't want to let them down, that's another way of, mm. of getting the best out of people. And I think as a, as a leader and senior player is, is actually talking to your people who might be new or whatever and show them how they can perform and tell them what you expect and then help them. And, and this is a business as well. New people come in and you let them fail. When you haven't actually shown them what, what you want or how they can be better, yeah. you know, they still might fail, but you've given them a better shot, haven't you? Absolutely, and I think those aspects are as true in sport as they are in business. The same is true in both environments. How did you go about engaging the team in a vision to win back-to-back World Cups? So uh, a while between drinks, you get there in 2011, and you know there's this possibility of doing it again in 2015. How did you go about engaging the team and, and making this possible, or was it simply just about the next game and, and building game on game? Yeah, the outcome of winning the, the World Cup again didn't really come a goal until a bit closer to time because you know you got to remember four years out, not everyone's going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I, after the World Cup in 2011, is where well, you can call yourself a world champion for four years. You're pretty horrible to be calling yourself a world champion if you weren't number one in the world and you weren't winning games. So it was actually uh, justifying that, you know. So that that became the sort of the goal and, and performance, and then just starting to dominate teams, you know, and, and it became habit. You know, asking guys whether they're really committed to, to wanting to carry that uh, world champion tag with uh, with some pride or be embarrassed to be called world champions if you're not winning. And and I think, you know, you get buy-in by asking people whether they really agree. If you don't, you don't just tell people this is what the mm-hmm. goals are mm-hmm. or the vision is, yeah, actually ask them. And if they say, yeah, I agree, well, hard for them to question it when you know, things don't go your way. So it was uh, in line with that. I think that's a good point. But you were also you also sort of saying it's not enough just to become world champions. Now we've got to basically live up to that tag and, and almost find a way to get better rather yeah, than rest it, on that, that tag. Absolutely, because yep. I, I know what it was like in 2008 and 2004. Mm. The team you wanted to beat was a team that was the world champions. Yep. <laughs> so everyone's out to get us. Yep, exactly. Probably more than they, they already, always were, but even more so. Talk to us a bit about some of the leadership structures that the All Blacks have in place to achieve success. I think, I think the one thing, you know, the coaches drive a certain amount of it, but the, the players are the ones out in the field. And, you know, from a senior player group, you've got to, I, I guess, got to know what you're, you're after and work together. You can't just sort of go, oh, the coach said to do this. You've got to really buy into it. And then down through the team, you've got to uh, really buy into it as well. You know, and I think from a senior player group is that we had to be pretty aligned with what we're after and then filter that out through the team as to, you know, what, what we were going to do. It can't be just one guy that's spouting off. You've all got to sort of be uh, talking about the same sort of messages, I think, and having a sort of reasonably common way of wanting to do things. How many people were generally in that leadership group and how did you become part of that group? Probably about eight. It was guys that you had to want to be there, probably had experience, but not necessarily just because you'd been around while you're the best guy, but a mix of positions, you know, because 
know, say it, forwards think different to back sometimes. <laughs> didn't necessarily mean the guys that could be up in front of the team the best. But, but you know, when we got guys in, they didn't weren't necessarily uh, know what they're doing straight away. We had to help, and we did a lot of developing and chances to talk through how we're going to do things, and everyone learned as you, as you went. It was picked by the coaches, really, in okay. conjunction with the other senior players who the right guys were. Initially, it was the coaches, and and the captain, I think, sort of first the guys about who was going to be the next guy in there. And uh, the main expectation of those guys were that they were role models? Yeah, role models in terms of being the best player. Yep. If you've got nothing else right, That's it. except go out and perform yep. to your best every time, you're a long way down the track to uh, leading the team. Yep, okay. Have there been any specific leaders within rugby or away from rugby that you've taken key leadership values from? And if so, what have they been and from who? I, I guess um, well, one of the guys that had a, quite a big influence on me was when I first came into the Crusaders was Todd Blackett. He'd been the captain of the Crusaders and the All Blacks. And when I'd played a season with him, the way he went about things and the way he, he performed inspired me. And, and that's why I always thought, if you get nothing else right, but play with a, a, in a way with courage and all those sort of things that, that inspire the guys around you, that goes along and, and men follow you. So that was, a, that was a, a big one. I guess the other one that I probably didn't think of too much at the time, but I look back and, it's, and it was a bit of the, my philosophy, I suppose, it was someone like Sir Edmund Hillary, and we talked a bit about him, we played for the Shield that was in his name between us and England. But, you know, that pioneering spirit is doing things that mm. no one's done and people say you can't do. So, mm. you know, like World Cup, people say, oh, it's hard to be motivated to win two in a row. Why not? And that's sort of what Sir Ed did, wasn't it? You know, yeah. why not? Did things that people said was impossible and was, you know, pretty determined to do it. I talked a bit about it when we were playing for the Shield in the last few years. You know, we talked about that, which was a big part of what we were trying to do. A couple of awesome principles there. I want to shift the focus to challenges or adversity. Obviously, you faced a, a bit of that over time, I think particularly the run-up to the 2011 World Cup with some challenges that you faced. Can you quote an example of a challenge or, or a phase of adversity you faced and, and what was maybe the mindset or the strategy you took to get through that? Just looking for a personal one, like the, the 2011 mm-hmm. World Cup, early part of that year, there was an earthquake Christchurch. You know, we are all feeling a bit sorry for ourselves and the rugby was cancelled for a week and... You know, it would have been easy to have, uh, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to play that. But we sort of saw it as an opportunity to inspire people in, in Christchurch in a tough time. So, mm. you know, you had a choice there. You could be like, uh, oh, well, you know, we're not going to play and, you know, it's mm. a bit hard. We've got all our problems. Or it was a bit like we've got an opportunity here to have an influence over a lot of people. And, and I think the way we carried ourselves and did that was, was massive. So mm. I reckon that was one that, you know, particularly proud of. I've been able to, again, it came down to a choice. And we as a team decided to do it. And we bloody near won the competition that year but you know we had a big influence over a lot of people which I thought was uh, you know as satisfying as actually winning the thing the other one that year was I had a broken foot around that time mm. and you know leading into the World Cup you know where you work for four years to get another chance and you go crikey I remember thinking at the time well, at least I've got time to get that right so I wasn't too too but you know came and went a bit during the season but then in the World Cup the third game I knew something was pretty wrong, hmm. and I really was feeling sorry for myself, and I missed that fourth pool game. You know, you say, well, why me? This is unfair, all that sort of stuff. Hmm. And then Rob DC got hurt yeah. and got ruled out, and I, I was still at the stage where there was a possibility of still being able to play, and I, and I remember 
Jesus, you know, you could it could have been like the old mate Dan. You know, I've still got a chance, so you know, be actually thankful for that. And and what will be will be. But like I remember breaking down. We're going to win the thing. There's 240 minutes left. You know, and if you can only play 40 or you only play 80, so be it. But you know, you've got a chance to get on the field and get it. And I remember those sort of conversations with guys like Gilbert Co were pretty. You know, you went from feeling sorry for yourself to actually going, well, Jesus, what an opportunity I've still got. Amazing, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're painkiller, all this sort of stuff. But when you're that determined to get out and do something, mm. you know, amazing what you can block out. Anything's possible, you know. The power of the mind, I guess you, you went from despair to gratefulness just in reframing that whole scenario. Absolutely, yeah. Talk to us a bit about greatness and your opinion, how critical is focus and sacrifice in the pursuit of greatness? I don't like the word sacrifice mm-hmm. because it's, a, it's just choice. Yep. You choose to do what you do. You don't get to do other things, but I wouldn't say there's a few things I might have done if I wasn't playing rugby or wasn't after going to World Cups or playing those games, but, you know, that's a choice I made. Yep, sure, I missed out on other things, but, geez, I, I wouldn't have given up for anything. I think that's sort of the way I look at it. Then you don't become disappointed maybe about looking at what other people are doing because, you know, I had mates that would have given mm. anything for, for one chance to run out. Yep. to the All Blacks, keep that in perspective. But there's certainly, you've got to be extremely focused and keep looking forward, not looking back mm-hmm. and over your shoulder at what you can do, not what someone else is doing to try and beat you, if you know what I mean. That's, I think, uh, pretty important. I love that. Uh, yeah, it's not a sacrifice, is it? It's actually a conscious choice, and that's what you're passionate about, and that's what feels right, and that's what you go after. So there is elements of compromise, but really it's a choice. You choose to. Yeah, exactly. The pursuit of success can become a bit all-consuming. What have you learned about yourself in terms of emotional intelligence and, and how to operate at your optimum? I think one thing I, I look back on now and I go, well, perhaps I should have taken a bit more time at various stages to sort of stop and reflect on what you're doing because I was always after the next thing, the next yeah. thing. And looking back, I wish I'd done that to a bigger degree, but then... The other side of I had, maybe I wouldn't have carried on as long as I had because, you know, you, you trip up by not staying focused, if you know yeah. what I mean. You know, that that's one that was tough to be able to keep going. I always felt you can't have an off day. There's a cost that comes with that, and the, and the cost is it, it drains you. I guess I learned after a while as to what it is that you need to do to get away from rugby for a bit. You know, the flying was a, was a classic just to... Get a break and, mm-hmm. and, and remind yourself that what you do is pretty cool and, yep, this, it can get pretty draining, but you still love what you do and you don't focus on the, the bits that you don't like. You focus on all the great stuff that you get to do. And I think you just, you know, at times you had to make sure you uh, keep that in perspective. Yep. And I think that's why I took a break in 2013 was because yep. I pro- perhaps got out a bit of kilter on that one. So is it sort of like the old cliche, learning to enjoy the journey a bit more than next goal, next milestone, next Yeah, well, what happens if you don't win? Yeah. You know, you put all your eggs in that basket and you f- and you get there and, and the end goal isn't achieved or it's not quite as good as you thought, well, you've missed out on an opportunity to sort of enjoy the process. And, and would you say that people talk to me about that and they talk about they're always going for the next goal, but sometimes that leads to a lack of fulfilment. Well, not the same fulfilment they could have if they had have enjoyed some of those wins or little milestones or, or big milestones along the way. 
Well, yeah, you think the end game is going to be hugely uh, rewarding and exciting. You get there and you go, oh, it's not quite as good as I thought. You've missed an opportunity to enjoy what you've done along the way. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. A, bit, a bit like life, isn't it? You, it you is. can't wait to get to to retirement and you look back and you go, crikey, I missed out on enjoying all the bits that were good along the way. Absolutely. I know that you're a bit of a list maker and you've got a bit of a plan almost always, but... What rituals or practices do you adopt to get the most out of each day or life in general? Or you talked a little bit about maybe starting over again after each game. You know, what habits or rituals have been pivotal to your success? The one thing is not leaving it to chance. Not a game of footy Saturday. You leave it to chance, hope you're going to turn up in good shape. Well, you might do the odd time or some most times, but it's the odd time you won't. And you just don't leave that to chance. So I... I guess I learned that hugely and saw it a lot is that when you go through the same process each week, you know you get to that Saturday, you know you're ready, both from a physical and a mental side of things. So I just became really disciplined at making sure I went through the same process every single week so I didn't leave anything to chance. That helped hugely with my consistency. And was that anything from sort of sleep, training, diet, alcohol, all of that? Everything. To the point, you know, like you do a couple of drills that I, I remember getting towards the end of my career, you know, where I actually question myself, is this actually making me any better? Mm. But, well, it's not making me any worse, so no. why wouldn't I do it? That was a sort of mindset, so you go and do it, because you know, well, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, God, I should have done that. Well, clearly it worked, mate, so well done. I want to uh, fire another one at you. How do you personally define success? It's, it's quite a tough one, because yeah. there's outcomes you be really careful you don't put all your eggs in that basket. Like, there's no doubt the outcomes and, and winning and, and achieving things that you want to achieve, that's how success is determined and measured. You, if you win and play poorly and, and perform poorly, to me that's not been successful. Conversely, you haven't won but you're going to perform well. Well, is that successful? Well, it is in one sense, but it's quite hard to justify. So it's sort of a balance, I think, of doing things right and if you do your best and you aren't successful and aren't winning well there's not a lot more you can do than that mm. but that's still I find that hard to take because we go out to mm. win it's a bit like in business you know people with a lot of money why do they go and build another business because mm. they've got it all mm. actually the money's irrelevant but it's yeah. a symptom of success yeah. what they want to do is build something that they're proud of and yep. step back and go how I created that or I, I did that and I think that's the same sport is you, you can step back and, and go you know I built up to this and I went and nailed it that that's what success to me is all about I think I look at the World Cup in 2015 is that we pretty much executed everything we wanted to and at the end of it stood back and go that is hugely satisfying so, so to me that's success you set out to do something yep. you, you have an idea how you want to do it and then everyone does everything you want and nails it I mean uh, what I'm picking up from that is you know just that uh, need or desire to challenge yourself and you ask yourself have you got it in you and then when you arrive at that outcome that you've worked so hard to get just bloody satisfying isn't it you know it yeah you've got to have an outcome to measure something you know yeah exactly I'm going to look back to a comment you made at the start when uh, we talked about not wanting to have regrets and you didn't want to be that old fella, you know, talking to the kids going, well, maybe I could have done this, maybe I could have done that, but something come up. What drives you, if you could have sort of distill it down to one word or, or a philosophy, what drives you? It's probably two things. <laughs> like, anything I do is a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really love a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is learning. 
And if you've got both of those together, that's that's what gets me out of bed every day. Yes. I've got a challenge in front of me and I've got to figure out a way I'd be better to yep. achieve it or whatever. That's the bit that I yep. think is what really drives me. And sort of mastering some of those challenges and overcoming some of those hurdles yeah. and all that sort of stuff and, and trying to nut out, how am I going to bloody achieve this or how am I going to arrive at this outcome I'm after? Again, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more independent. If we were to ask your wife, Gemma, to define who Richie McCaw is, what would she <laughs> say, mate? <laughs> well, I don't know. Probably should say pretty focused mm-hmm. and persistent. So if it's something I get my mind on to doing, I I can't let it go. <laughs> so you know, trying to solve a problem on something, I'll uh, I'll uh, shut down uh, looking at anything else and just <laughs> focus until I've got it sorted. Probably to a fault at times. Probably pretty driven, I'd say, and fo- you're focused. Probably say almost obsessed. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you know, like you get into something and I just can't let it go until I've figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Jim has played a part in this bit as well, but you know, how do you maintain harmony as an ambitious and busy person? You've got a lot going on, even now, post-rugby, arguably you're as busy as ever. How do you sort of uh, maintain any form of harmony? Bloody tough, actually. Uh, <laughs> for successful uh, people, successful sportsmen, you, you've got to be got to be fairly selfish. Mm. And, and that's a, a trait that I think people have to do that. You know, I think there's no doubt through my uh, rugby career that was that was something that uh, was a strength. Careful, it doesn't eat you up. I think towards the end, I, I got to the point where, you know, it becomes a bit of a lonely thing to, to do when you just get so focused on something. And I think, you know, you can do both, but you've, you've got to actually make sure you don't take a step back and realise that what you do, whether it be on the sports field or even in business, mm. you know, it's not life or death. You know, sometimes, especially in the rugby, we, we got so focused, you know, it's it like saving the world or yeah. whatever, but really it's just a game of footy. And, yeah. and sometimes getting some perspective around that, I probably wasn't very good at at times, but, you know, it's certainly something, if anything, that's what wore me down yeah. as a sportsman. That's why you get to the point where you've had enough. Don't want that to happen in the next chapter, really. And you just got to realise that, you know, things can wait you know, at times, and, you know, you got to have a bit more of an open view on, on everything and, and actually just being able to think about things a bit more rather than just being blinkered. I mean, I think Dan Carter said in Chasing Great that he almost felt like he lost a mate in you <laughs> when you become so focused on winning this bloody cup. You know, what would you change or what do you think you meant by that? Oh, exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, look, yeah, there's probably an element of that and. Like, I don't know whether I would have changed a lot mm. looking back. You know, at this stage now, like, oh, there's no way you'd want to be as, uh, for lack of a better word, blinkers on because you can only do that for so long before you come to a grinding halt. Silly too, but look, if you hadn't won, it would have all been worth it. Would you have missed out? You know, it, it worked out okay and I perhaps was a lot better in the lead up to the second one, but, you know, that can have, you'll be a bit careful with it. But, you know, you've got to go through that because that was a bit of my personality too, I guess. Hey, um, obviously looking back, you know, you've you've uh, you've got a beautiful wife. You've had an amazing career, and I'm sure you know there's moments when you allow yourself to look back and go, I've "Done bloody well," and I'm proud of what I've achieved. So you're well on your way to leaving a legacy behind you, and a great one at that. Um, if you were to write a letter to that 20 year old, you know, what pieces of wisdom would you impart on him, knowing what you know now? The things that were successful is that perseverance is a is a big one, and that. Listening to the right people was important, not getting caught up in the wrong stuff. 
And the, the one thing I wish I could do better and would say, you know, make sure you figure out, get the balance right of enjoying what you do along the way because I think you can do that as well as keeping those high standards and, and not missing anything. So that'd be, that'd be something I'd say that, you know, I learned looking back that I could have done slightly better. It doesn't mean uh, you've got to go and, you know, party up and feel like you, you can let your hair down all that all the time. It's almost that, just sit back, give yourself a little, almost a pat on the back, you know, when something's gone well. It may not even be, you know, it's not public, it's just a hell of it is enjoyable. Hey, uh, we're getting close to wrapping this up, Rich. I appreciate your time, but I know you're a big advocate of goals. You've always had a bit of a vision of what's in front of you. My question to you is what's left to achieve and what's, uh, what are some of your future goals? Having goals and stuff is important. I'm not as stringent as I was playing footy just because I, I guess just these days figuring out sort of what I'm after. But mm. the rugby chapter was one that's been shut. Mm-hmm. And there's a new one overnight and that's what really excites me and, and actually what you know, the next, say, you know, 10, 15 years, what I want to achieve, say, from a business point of view. I'm still sort of figuring that out, I think, but I've sort of got involved with the helicopters and I see our business, you know, to have a really successful uh, helicopter business where I can actually have quite an influence over, firstly, as a pilot, you know, become experienced there and get both the, the business and the flying side, you know, become uh, really experienced at that and successful at that. That's probably how I measure that, I'm not sure yet. And, and the other one is, you know, family point of view, that's something that's uh, exciting down the track as well. Having time to get involved in your family properly is, is something I'm hugely excited about. So I'm not someone that's actually gone and written down these goals or anything. It's, uh, finishing rugby is going to take a couple of years to sort of find the fit as to where I want to go. I'm not just writing down stuff for the sake of it. Fantastic, mate. Well, look, you know, I guess in closing, I think the world, uh, the world needs role models, mate, and I think you've definitely been that for a lot of people. You know, you've inspired me, you've inspired a lot of people, so I know that's something that doesn't always perhaps sit comfortably with you, mate. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to share your journey today. You're an amazing person and, and you've, you've earned this status, mate. So thanks for, for joining us on this, Rich. I've got no doubt that the next chapters that uh, lie in front of you will be equally as successful. So thanks and, and well done. Thank you. Appreciate that. No problems. podcast is brought to you by Stellar Technology. Get in touch at stellartechnology.com.au for all your tech needs from podcasts, websites to mobile apps.